This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, June 1st, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. In Illinois, a new ballot initiative would beef up the power of labor, allowing some labor agreements to override previous reforms, including pension reform, and even effectively veto acts of the state legislature. Adam Schuster is vice president for policy at the Illinois Policy Institute. We talked about the strange and powerful provisions of what's known simply as Amendment 1. Since the Janus decision in 2017, uh, a lot of public sector unions have sort of you know, flexed their muscle as much as they could to, I think, convert their uh, political power that they had at that moment into something more long term, like winning electoral contests that would give people the power of incumbency and maybe get some state level reforms that would blunt the effects of allowing people to simply walk away from uh, public sector unions. Um, Illinois has what's known as Amendment 1 that is coming up on the ballot. What does that do? So it's being sold as a workers' rights amendment. Um, That's what the proponents are calling it, the workers' rights amendment. Um, And they're also kind of uh, you know, hiding the main parts of it, because if you ask them what it does, the first thing they'll tell you is it's a constitutional ban on right to work. Of course, Illinois is a state that does not currently have right to work, but this would constitutionally ban uh, private sector right to work from ever happening in Illinois. But that's actually the fourth of four provisions. Um, and the other three that they don't really want to talk about is that, uh, first of all, it makes collective bargaining a fundamental right. So it puts it on par with you know freedom of speech, freedom of expression, um, other fundamental rights guaranteed by the Constitution. Uh, second, it says that um, all employees, well, sorry, that, that's part of the first. All employees have a fundamental right to bargain. That's very general, right? Poorly defined. Uh, the second part is it says they can, it, it says what they can bargain over. Uh, so it's the things you would normally expect, wages, hours, working conditions, but it expands it to include uh, sort of economic welfare and safety, which opens up a, a whole new can of worms for uh, unions to essentially be able to bargain over uh, policy topics, right? Uh, and then the third provision uh, says that lawmakers can never pass any law to diminish or impair or pull back on those rights in any way. So um, it enshrines union power in the Constitution to bargain over virtually limitless subjects um, and would actually give them the ability to override state law through their collective bargaining agreements, Yeah, which is the, the contracts the unions negotiate with the government. So uh, the idea would be that all em- if all employees can negotiate, if all employees can bargain uh, collectively, that it essentially eliminates the notion of at-will employment. And it, it, it also leads to all types of uh, sort of absurd potential consequences. Again, employee is not defined, right? So it doesn't say uh, government employees or give any kind of definition of what they mean by employee. Um, so, you know, elected officials are in many sense uh, employees. Prisoners, in some cases, when they're, when they're performing work, um, are employees, right? And so um, this, you know, could lead to some pretty absurd, absurd unintended consequences, including, you know, prisoners um, trying to to collectively bargain, which um, there's actually been, it, it sounds sort of absurd, but there's been some, uh, you know, leading indicators that might happen in Illinois, or at least there's groups that want it to happen, or, or a union of elected officials or something like that, right? Um, so it, it, 
it, it's it's a really novel law. Illinois already has some of the most extreme uh, labor protections or um, sort of uh, special protections for government sector unions in the country. Um, and this would go above and beyond anything we've seen anywhere else in the country. There was one other state where they tried to pass something like this in Michigan. It was overwhelmingly defeated. Um, but no state has a law on the books or, or in their constitution um, that would go this far. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh there are some unresolved questions about when the U.S. Constitution butts up against state constitutions. Correct. So, um, you know, there's a supremacy clause in the U.S. Constitution that basically says if the U.S. government occupies a space, if they regulate that space, um, you know, states can't also try to regulate in the same way and create contradictions. Um, and the National Labor Relations Act already establishes the rules for private sector unionization and bargaining. Um, and so by not limiting this to public employees to include the private sector, they're sort of stepping on the toes of the federal government. And we believe that this amendment um, itself is unconstitutional. Constitutional, and there's a pending lawsuit uh, out there to get it thrown off the ballot. It seems odd that you would have a constitutional amendment that would tell lawmakers that they cannot abridge rights at all, right? Because you, if you have a right to freedom of speech, the let lawmakers are perfectly free to pass laws abridging speech, and then those laws get thrown out, right? And this seems to go a step further, and I don't know what that means. I, I think what they're what they're doing is they they really are trying to solidify this for all time and prevent it from uh, from being scaled back in any way. Um, and the interesting thing is that the language kind of mirrors the Illinois Pension Clause, um, which uh, has given us so many problems. It was put in place in, in the uh, 1970 Constitution and created all types of uh, unintended consequences. But the Pension Clause says that pensions are a contractual benefit that can never be diminished or impaired. This says collective bargaining is a fundamental right that can never be diminished or impaired. Um, so it's it's sort of the old playbook, but in many ways, Amendment One would be sort of the pension clause on steroids. Uh, not only you know giving uh, unions the ability to bargain over more subjects and to to override the will of the people and the will of lawmakers, um, and I can explain that a little bit. There's a, a section in Illinois law currently that deals with uh, conflicts of law. So if if a state law contradicts a collective bargaining agreement, a contract with the union, the union contract prevails. So it overrides the state law. This would elevate that to, to the level of the U.S. Constitution. Um, and by doing so, it, it not only you know, can have all types of, of uh, non-fiscal and non-monetary uh, impacts, but it virtually guarantees that the runaway debt in taxes in Illinois will continue to grow. I can't imagine that an employer in Illinois would want to contend with an environment for trying to hire and fire employees with this on the books. Oh, you know, it's already very difficult um, often to discipline problem employees um, in Illinois um, governments. I, I worked uh, for the state of Illinois uh, for about three and a half years, and I, I saw firsthand um, employees who, you know, exploit provisions in the contract related to discipline. They sort of play the game. Um, you know, the, the contract allows people to to miss up to five days um, of of work with, without notifying the employer uh, previously um, with no discipline. It allows you to be um, late up to 11 times uh, w- with no discipline, right? So, um, and, you know, 
that's without Amendment 1. Without Amendment 1, the unions have already got so much control um, over Illinois government. It's it's almost hard to imagine how it could get worse, um, but but it can. And, you know, we've seen in recent years that, you know, unions like the Chicago's teachers unions, for, for example, um, have been willing to uh, make contract demands that have nothing to do with wages and hours and working conditions and, and the traditional things that we would expect um, from a union. And, and this amendment would just embolden them further. Um, and again, make it so that um, once something is in place, there's nothing we can do, uh, you know, to, to pull it back. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm trying to imagine some of the possible circumstances that could arise here. I'm imagining a collective bargaining agreement that is adopted in the future after Amendment 1 is on the books that conflicts with state laws that have been on the books for many years. Precisely. We, you know, our research uh, identified 350 potential provisions in state law um, that we think um, are prime targets for the unions to, to try to override um, through collective bargaining. But, you know, just a, a couple of the ex- absurd ones, right? And, and, and I know these are absurd, but they're still possible. And that's, that's what makes this amendment so crazy. Um, you know, recently there was a story in Illinois that made national headlines where a convicted arsonist was pardoned um, and then became a fire chief, right? So the convicted arsonist who becomes a fire chief and later a police officer. Um, that was only able to happen because of the pardon. But if the uh, unions negotiate and say, you know, um, criminal history can't be used uh, to determine, you know, your, your eligibility for this position, um, or if they were to say that, uh, you know, we don't want our employees to have to go undergo background checks to work in a school or to work for the Department of Children and Family Services, um, they could override state laws that are intended to protect children by, you know, keeping violent people away from them. Um, you know, there's just so many potential things. That, uh, another one, you know, that I think is sort of fiscal is um, there's a lot, you know, Illinois has this massive pension problem, the worst pension crisis in the nation, more debt per taxpayer than any state by far. Um there have been laws put in place over the last 10 to 15 years to kind of scale back on some of the abuses, spiking, double dipping, things like this. But if the union gets in the CBA, um, something that contradicts, you know, the state law. So there was this, um, this loophole where they would exploit unused sick days. They could use um, unlimited unused sick days to add service credit to their pension. Uh, and lawmakers kind of scaled that back to say you can't use more sick days than you have remaining days till your retirement, right? But if the union puts in a CBA in their contract that they can use all of their unused sick days for the pension, that nullifies that state law effectively. And so you could have uh, pension abuses that lawmakers have tried to prevent come back into play uh, because of Amendment 1. So the power of the purse uh, in the Illinois legislature would be substantially curtailed. Exactly. And, you know, Illinois politicians aren't the most popular, um, but uh, ultimately those are the people's representatives, right? And so the ability for unions to override lawmakers in the General Assembly ultimately means that the unions can override the democratic will of the people in this state. Adam Schuster is vice president for policy at the Illinois Policy Institute. We spoke last month in Chicago. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 